Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 117th program in this series. In the previous program, I was at the end of John chapter 18. What happened was, was that Jesus was arrested by the Romans, In order to be arrested by the Romans, someone had to go before the Romans and accuse Jesus of violating Roman law. In this case, the most likely scenario was that Judas went before the Romans and accused Jesus of sedition, that Jesus was going to have a revolt against the Roman leadership in that sense and perhaps assert the messianic kingdom. With an accusation that would be in violation of Roman law, a detachment of troops would then be sent out to perform an arrest. In this case, Jesus was arrested, but the witness, Judas, apparently disappeared because the Romans did not take Jesus to the Roman compound. If Judas disappeared, they would no longer have the witness, the accuser, the witness, that they would need in order to perform a trial. So in this case, what they decided to do was they took him to the home of Annas, probably because they had a religious experience when they all hit the ground when Jesus made the announcement that I am he, and all the Roman soldiers drew back and hit the ground. This was clearly a religious experience for these folks of some kind. And so they took him to the religious guy who was known as the high priest in Israel, the legitimate high priest, that was Annas. Caiaphas was the high priest that the Romans put in power. So Annas did not have any real authority and power. It was Caiaphas who had the authority and the power to execute the office of the high priest because he was given that authority by the Romans. Caiaphas would, of course, be loyal to the Romans especially if he's well-paid. If he is not loyal to the Romans, well, they can just simply say, well, we're just going to replace you with somebody else. After all, you're not the real high priest anyway. And that was one of the ways that they could maintain control over the region from a religious point of view. Jesus was taken to Annas. There was a trial that took place there at the home of Annas. Annas sent Jesus over to the home of Caiaphas. There was a trial that took place at the home of Caiaphas. We can study this trial by looking at the other accounts from the other Gospels that we have available. John did not record the details concerning this trial. Instead, John proceeds and he writes about what happened after the trial that took place at the home of Caiaphas. They took him over to the Roman compound. Now, the Romans had already sent a detachment of troops out earlier and they arrested Jesus. They did not take him to the Roman compound for the reasons that I suggested, or maybe there were some other reasons. But regardless of what those reasons may be, they did not bring Jesus to the Roman compound and hold a trial there. 
Now Jesus is being taken by the people, by the religious leaders and by the people, to the Roman compound. The Roman soldiers are not bringing Jesus to the Roman compound for a trial. The people, the religious leaders of Israel, are taking Jesus to the Roman compound to demand a trial and an execution. That's what they're doing. Beginning in John chapter 18, verse 28, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. And I explained in the previous message that this would be the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, which is 24 hours after the Passover meal. At this time in history, the term Passover and the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, these two terms were being used synonymously. But if you look at the record and you look at the sequence of events, you can figure out just which day is it really, and which meal is really taking place. Is it the Passover meal, or is it the meal of the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was known as the Seder, the Passover Seder? Continuing into verse twenty-nine, Pilate then went out to them and said, "What accusation do you bring against this man?" Pilate goes out to the people. And he asks them, "What is the crime? What is the accusation? What has this guy done?" They answered in verse thirty. They answered and said to him, "If he were not an evil doer, we would not have delivered him up to you." In other words, they say we have no accusation. We don't have an accusation. What we have is an assertion. That he is some kind of evil doer, but they don't give a specific accusation. What has Jesus done? You say he's an evil doer, but so what? What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, what's really going on here? What did Jesus ever do? What did he ever do to deserve to be treated like this? What did Jesus ever do? And the answer is nothing. He did nothing that would justify this kind of behavior. So what you have is you have a group of exceptionally violent people. That's what you have. You have a bunch of people who are exceptionally violent, who have discovered an opportunity to hurt. Somebody else, for no legitimate reason, and they decide to take it that this is our chance, this is our opportunity, and we're going to get away with it. We are going to hurt this guy, even though he's done nothing that would justify this kind of behavior, except for what he made them feel bad. And how did he make them feel bad? He told the truth. He exposed their sin. He made them feel uncomfortable, and to them, this justifies his execution. This is how these people are. These people are of such character that if somebody makes them feel bad, they believe that that person should be executed. Now, I would like you to understand that. 
this is not just some kind of Jewish thing. I mean, these are all a bunch of Jews in this historical experience that are bringing Jesus to the Romans in this way. But this is not some kind of ethnic or cultural kind of attitude. There are people like this everywhere from all kinds of cultures and communities and personalities. I myself have had people in my life who have related to me in a similar way as this, that when I made them feel bad for a legitimate reason, because I told the truth, and perhaps I exposed some things that they were doing that were evil and wrong, well, they used their influence, they used their opportunities, they used whatever they could in order to execute as much harm to me as could possibly be imagined. Why? Because I made them feel bad. Because I made them uncomfortable. Because I told the truth. I told it the way it really was. And they did not like that. They did not want who they really are to be exposed. They wanted the appearance of goodness. The appearance of holiness. They just wanted the appearance. But who they really are are pure, absolute, evil, violent people. And I want you to understand that it has nothing to do with being Jewish at all. It has to do with just the way that people can really be. Now, if you have nobody in your life like this, then good for you. But there are a lot of people in the world who are like this, who behave this way, who have treated other people this way, and there are even more people that if they had the chance, they would do it too. People who you would never expect. You would never think that they would behave this way. But absolutely, this is the way that people can really be in this world. And Jesus is experiencing this. Now, some of the leaders had some other reasons, and I explained this in previous messages. Reasons such as, well, you know, If everybody follows after Jesus, then the Romans might consider that to be a problem that needs to be solved. And they will go to the leadership in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, the chief priests. They will go to these people and they will say, hey, listen, you are not keeping this society under reasonable control. We have this potential sedition brewing and the people are rallying together with this guy who they are going to set up as the messianic king, you know, the guy who's raising the dead and doing all kinds of miracles like that. And so what will the Romans do? They will say, listen, since you people are not keeping these kinds of things under control, we're going to replace you with some other people who will. And so they would lose their place and they may be at risk of losing their nation if the Romans decide to make some really big changes there in the land. So a lot of the leadership had already made the decision that they wanted to find a way to get Jesus killed because they were concerned about their job security. They were concerned about their opportunity to make money. They were concerned about losing their position in society. And they believed that because they personally were at risk of having to get a job... That's what it was about. They would have to get a job or get other kinds of work. Because they were at risk of that, 
they believed that this would justify the execution of somebody, the murder of somebody. Another thing that I explained previously was that they wanted the opportunity to be the saviors of the people. That if they found a way to murder Jesus, well, then the people and the nation would be saved because the Romans would not come in and take over. So this is a chance for them to be a savior of the people. We are going to murder this guy because if we do so, then we're going to be the saviors of all the other people. It is better for one person to die than for a whole lot of people to die. With the assumption that more people would die anyway, they don't know that. They're just using that as an excuse. They don't really have any deep convictions concerning that. This is a murder that they are talking about, that they are scheming about. And this is the moment when they finally succeed. So you've got the leadership who do have some other reasons behind them. You've got other people who have been feeling uncomfortable because of what Jesus was saying and because of what he was doing. But you probably would then also have a whole lot of other people who are just there, not because they were personally offended in some way by Jesus, but they're there in order to make friends with the leadership. They are there in order to join in with the important people. They're going to join their side and demand that Jesus be executed because they are. Because if they do, well, then the leadership might like them. They may have new opportunities in life, new opportunities for employment, or new opportunities to make some new friends, stuff like that. There would definitely be some people who would be in the crowd who have no real concern about Jesus at all, and they're just a part of this, so that they can make some new friends. That's all that it is. It's about being a part of some big event through which you can make some new friends by hating someone who they probably don't even have a real opinion about anyway. So what do you have here? You've got a lot of people who are violent people. Their objective in order to feel better is to cause harm to Jesus. This is how they're going to feel better, how they are going to cope with their sense of discomfort. They feel uncomfortable, and so they're going to hurt someone, try to get this person murdered, so that they can feel better about themselves. Now, this is really important to understand, because you're going to see Pilate bring Jesus out and show him off, and show that he has been hurt. He has been beaten. And I'll speak about these verses when I come to them, and you would think that if he was hurt enough, if the Romans beat him up enough, and they brought him out and showed him to all the people so that they could see, look, this guy has been seriously injured. He's been seriously beat up. This guy has been hurt. And you all know it's for no reason, no legitimate reason. It's just because you are a bunch of violent people. So how is this? Is this good enough? Does this satisfy your desire to hurt someone for no reason, for no legitimate reason? Will this be enough for you? Is this good enough? 
And you'll find, no, it wasn't good enough. And so this would happen again and again. And I'll come to these verses shortly. But continuing on into John chapter 18, verse 31, Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. All right, so Pilate asked them, What is the accusation? Obviously, they give no accusation. This comment that they have, that he is an evil person, is not a legitimate response to the question that Pilate asked. So, there is no answer. You people go and judge him according to your law. See if he's violated any of your laws. He's not violated any of the Romans' laws. So, if you want something done to this guy, maybe you can hold a trial and show that he's violated one of your laws. You guys go ahead and do that. They were able to do that to an extent. There were boundaries that were defined by the Romans with regards to what they could do and what they couldn't do. There were boundaries. And they explain to Pilate that they have a boundary such that they cannot put anyone to death. Now, this was a decision that was made by the Romans when they took over. Several years prior, there was a lot of chaos in this region. The Hasmoneans were engaged in a tremendous civil war. There were all kinds of problems and conflicts. There was a lot of destruction and death that was taking place in the land of Israel with the Hasmonean civil war. And both of the leaders made an appeal to the Romans to resolve the conflict. They made an appeal to the Roman general Pompey, who then went in and he solved the problem. He made a decision with regards to who was going to be in a leadership position there in Israel and who wasn't. And he went in with his troops and he waged war and he conquered the region and he ended the civil war that was happening among the Jews. And then the Romans reorganized the society there. And part of the reorganization was that the Jewish leadership would not be able to put anyone to death. Only the Romans would be able to execute someone. That was a decision that they made as part of the reorganization. And these boundaries were still in place at this time in history. And the people who brought Jesus before Pilate recognize that this is a boundary that they cannot cross. And they are asking Pilate to execute Jesus, to put him to death. But they have not given Pilate a reason to do so. They have not presented an accusation that would justify the execution of Jesus. So again, in verse 31, then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. The death that he would die would be by being lifted up. Crucifixion, that was the kind of death that he proclaimed that he would experience. If he was executed by the Jews, it would have been by stoning. But in verse 32 here, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, this is accomplished because the way that the Jews decided to have him murdered was to bring him to the Romans 
and they would execute him in the way that they do executions. At this time, it was crucifixion. So then continuing on into verse 33, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or did others tell you this concerning me? What he is saying is, is that I am not going to testify against myself. Pilate asked him if he was the king of the Jews. He doesn't just say yes or no, because if he did, he would testify against himself. So instead of testifying against himself, he asks Pilate to take responsibility for the accusation, to take responsibility for any punishment that they may give Jesus. So, are you speaking for yourself? In other words, is this your accusation against me? Have you decided that you are going to accuse me of being a king here in the land, a person who is involved in an act of sedition? Are you making this accusation? Or are you saying this because other people have made this kind of an accusation? In other words, Jesus tells him indirectly that he's not going to just stand there and testify against himself of some crime that supposedly he committed that he didn't that would not justify this kind of execution at all. So Pilate responds. In verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? In other words, Pilate really has no formal accusation. He doesn't know what Jesus has done. So he's asking him, what have you done? Why did these people bring you here? They won't tell me why they brought you here. Maybe you'll tell me why they brought you here. Will anybody tell me what this guy's doing here? This is the kind of question that Pilate is asking. This is the situation that everybody's in. Nobody knows what Jesus is really doing there. Why? Because the reasons why he is there, those reasons are unacceptable. They are illegitimate. They are evil reasons from evil, wicked, violent people. So what is there to say? Jesus answered, verse 36. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Okay, what does he say? He says, in effect, that he is a king of a kingdom that is not here. It's his way of indirectly saying, I am not guilty of sedition. I am not guilty of sedition because this is not my kingdom and my servants are not a part of this kingdom in this sense. So Jesus does declare who he is. But in saying who he is, he also says that he is not guilty of sedition 
or any other crime that would justify execution. Verse 37, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. All right. Now he says, yes, I am a king. And he also said that his kingdom is not here and his servants are not here. He is no threat to the Romans. He is no threat to Pilate. He is not a threat of any kind. There is nothing to talk about. There is no accusation. There is no crime. What is there to say? The only thing that Pilate can respond to is the topic of truth. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 117th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 18, verses 28 to 37. This was when the people brought Jesus to the Roman compound. This was after the trial of Annas, after the trial of Caiaphas. They brought him to the Roman compound, and they tried to get the Romans to hold a trial against Jesus. But they would not bring a legitimate accusation to the Romans against Jesus. Jesus had done nothing to violate Roman law. This was just a chaotic mob of people who were wanting to hurt Jesus. They wanted him to be put to death, and the Romans would not allow anyone to put anyone else to death. And so for Jesus to die, he had to be brought to the Romans, and he had to be found guilty of violating Roman law. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.